Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So sourdough is something that captured my imagination way back at the beginning of my homestead journey. I actually found an old recipe book I had created around sourdough the other day, and I had a little post-it note that said, date of first starter, October 11th, 2010, which literally was right at the beginning of when I even understood what homesteading was. It was a long time ago, but I have been doing sourdough on and off since then, and I've learned a few things. Not only how to make my own starter, but also how to keep it going and not let it take over your life. So I've talked about sourdough in my Prairie Homestead cookbook and in the Heritage Cooking Crash Course series. However, I know sometimes it just helps to hear someone talk you through the process. So in today's episode, I'm going to tell you exactly how I start my own sourdough starters from thin air, no cultures or special ingredients required. I'm your host, Jill Winger, and for the last 10 years, I've been helping people just like you who feel disenchanted by modern life. I'll help you leave the rat race and create the life you really want by learning how to grow your own food and master old-fashioned skills. So I've had some massive sourdough failures, numerous failures over the years. I've done the classic brick loaf that you can use as a paperweight or a doorstop. And I've had the loaves that taste way too sour or have the texture of uh, sandpaper that no one wants to eat. And I've killed the starter. I've cooked the sour sourdough starter by accident. I have let it die on the counter. I've neglected it in the fridge. Uh, I've done all the things. So uh, I, I know how to fail at sourdough but I also have learned a method that works for me. Um, So today I just want to talk about how to make your own starter because this is a question I get a ton. And in a future episode, I will walk you through how I care for my starter and use it, whether that's on a regular basis or more of an intermittent basis. But today it's all about how to get one going. Now, like I mentioned in the introduction, I have a full sourdough recipe along with extra recipes in the Prairie Homestead cookbook. So if you have my cookbook, uh, I think it's in the pantry staples section in the back, you will find my sourdough technique right there. And if you have the Heritage Cooking Crash Course, there's a whole video module, several of them actually, where I take you into my kitchen and show you the sourdough process and some of the things I make with it. Um, But today is kind of the down and dirty version of how I do this. It is not as complicated as you think. I have a lot of folks who come to me who are overthinking the sourdough process, and I promise you it is not complicated. So let's dive in. Here we go. Okay. So a few things to know before you start. Um, If you have other things culturing in your kitchen, kombucha, kefir, sauerkraut, whatever, You want to keep your sourdough starter away from them, which surprises a lot of people, but they actually can cross-contaminate, which makes them all funky and not super edible. Um, So just keep it farther away. I have my kombucha continuous brew system on my island, and then I kind of keep my sourdough over in the opposite corner of my kitchen. I don't have a massive kitchen, and I don't really overthink this. Basically, I just would encourage you not to have them side by side. You'll probably be fine. 
also, um, do not use chlorinated water to feed your sourdough starter. Um, if you live in town and you have chlorine in your tap water, though, here's a quick fix. You can pour some water into a jar or a bowl and then leave it on your counter overnight uncovered. Chlorine actually evaporates pretty quickly. So as long as you give it a chance to evaporate, most of it should be gone from the water in the morning. And then you can safely use that to feed your starter without having to worry about the chlorine killing off any of the beneficial organisms in your starter. Um, also, there are lots of different ways to do this. And so if you Google how to make your own sourdough starter, you will find 5 million different techniques and tweaks and varieties. Um, I would suggest that you pick a method and you just go with it. Whether that's my method or someone else's, you will drive yourself crazy trying to um, take something from all of them. So just pick one and odds are you'll be just fine. They all kind of work out the same in the end. We just all have different preferences and little things that we do. I personally use flour and water to start my starters. There's people who suggest sugar and grapes and potato flakes, and I've just never, ever found those things to be necessary. It's just an added step, um, more risk for weirdness or contamination. So I just keep mine super simple. There are dehydrated uh, sourdough starters that you can buy online. And those are an option. You can do that. They might give your starter a little bit of a jump start or introduce different flavor strains into your starter if you're going for a certain tang with your sourdough. Um, but again, I've tried those in the past. I've made my own just out of flour and water, and I haven't noticed a huge difference. So generally, I just go with the cheap, easy method and skip the commercial sourdough starter packets. If you have a friend with a starter, you can absolutely grab um, a little bit of culture from them. That's an option. And then just start feeding it at home. So lots of ways to get started, um, but it doesn't have to be complicated, no matter which method you choose. So we're going to gather our materials first. Like I mentioned, you're going to need flour and water. Um, I recommend whole wheat flour for your first initial uh, dose. You don't have to do that, but whole wheat tends to be more whole, obviously, and it has more of those beneficial bacterias on it. So it can give your starter just a little bit of a head start. Again, not necessary. So don't go out and buy whole wheat just for this. But if you have it already, it might be a good time to break it out. Also, make sure that you use a big enough jar for your starter. Uh, you can start in a pint or a quart. Eventually, uh, it, you might kind of run out of space because sourdough starter grows, especially if you're not using it and you're not discarding it regularly. So I kind of stick with a two quart or half gallon mason jar for mine. It gives me enough for when the starter gets really active and bubbly and rises to the top, there's enough room for it. Uh, and I don't have to worry about it overflowing, which has definitely happened to me in the past. And like I said, <clears throat> just a reminder, excuse me, um, use that unchlorinated water for sure. And preferably unbleached flour as you feed and maintain your starter. Okay, so here is the actual process. Um, so simple, you're not going to believe this. Okay, so what you do first, you're going to take a half a cup 
of whole wheat flour and mix it with a quarter cup of water. Now, depending on what type of whole wheat flour you're using, if it's really coarse, um, you may need to add a little bit more water. We're looking for a slurry, but it needs to be on the thick side. So I would say you want this to look like thick pancake batter. Um, if it's really, really, really thick, then you need to add a little bit more water than that quarter cup just to get that consistency. But don't worry, it doesn't have to be perfection. Just get it close and close counts. So you're going to mix the flour and water in the jar. You're going to stir it vigorously. Then you're going to loosely cover it. And this can just be putting the lid on, but not screwing it on. Just kind of setting the lid on top. Or you can take a dishcloth and a rubber band or a paper coffee filter and a rubber band, whatever. Uh, we just don't want it airtight. And then we're going to let it sit for 24 hours. Now, after that 24 hours is up, you're going to add another half cup of flour. Generally, at this point, I switch over to unbleached all-purpose flour. And I add another quarter cup of water. I stir it. I cover it back up loosely and I let it sit for another 24 hours. Okay. Now at this point, after that second 24 hours, hopefully you're going to see some bubbles start in your starter kind of at the bottom. They'll be little, you'll see them through the glass. You may not though. So don't worry if they're not visible, but you may see them at this point in the process. Now, step three, the next day, before you feed it this time, kind of the third round, you're going to discard half of the starter. You're going to pour half of it out, which I understand might um, cause alarm for some of you because I don't like wasting things either. But at this point, if you keep feeding it, it's just going to get ginormous and take over your kitchen. So we kind of have to keep those ratios in the right level to make sure that we're not wasting flour in the long run. So at this point, the starter is not going to be super sour. It's not going to be super beneficial to any recipe. I guess if you wanted to, you could use it to make um, sourdough pancakes or something like that, but you probably won't have a whole lot of it. And it's probably just easier to put it in your compost pile or give it to your chickens or something like that. So dump out half of it and then feed the starter that's remaining in the jar with another half cup of flour and a quarter cup of water. Stir, cover, and sit for 24 hours. And at this point, it's kind of like Groundhog Day. You're just going to be repeating that over and over until the starter doubles and gets all bubbly and happy within four to six hours of you feeding it. So people sometimes get panicky at this point. They are on day four or day five and they're not really seeing bubbles yet or they saw a few bubbles and then the bubbles stop. And I'm going to encourage you just to keep going. I would say give your starter at least seven to 10 days before you make a judgment call on it. Sometimes it just takes time. Um, sometimes it needs a little more warmth. The cultures will be happier when your house is warm. So if your, your kitchen is cool and drafty, then you may need to move it to a warmer location in your house. I wouldn't recommend direct sunlight, but just maybe a place that's closer to the heater or closer to the stove without scorching it, obviously. Um, sometimes it has to do with the flour you're using. So perhaps if you're not seeing bubbles after a week, and it doesn't look any different, try a different variety of flour, um, a different brand, maybe one that's more organic or more uh, whole wheat. See what happens. And uh, maybe the water you're using. Um, I've heard stories that occasionally there are locations or people's homes that just don't have enough wild yeast floating in the air to get into the culture. But 
honestly, I've never had that happen. And I haven't heard any firsthand stories of that happening. Most everybody I know is able to um, get their culture going with the wild yeast in their house. However, if worse comes to worse and you're just not having results, you can discard the starter that won't take off for you. And you could use a commercial starter as a, as a starting point just to kind of get things rolling. So once your starter is happy and active and it doubles consistently after each daily feeding, and I, and I should have mentioned at this point, I'm just feeding my starter um, once a day, then it is ready for you to start using it in recipes. Um, whether it is breads or you're using it in pancakes or the brownies in the Prairie Homes to the Cookbook or crackers or whatever. So in an upcoming episode that will be coming very soon, I will be diving into some of my strategies for how I care and maintain a sourdough starter without burning through tons of flour, without um, having to be baking every day of my life, right? There's some tricks uh, of the trade that will make sourdough fit into your lifestyle without kind of running your calendar for you. So for now, I just want you to get that starter going, get out the flour in the water, and then we'll go from there with some more tips in a future episode. So I hope that was inspiring. And know that heritage cooking and old-fashioned kitchen skills don't have to be complicated. Um, they can be much more simple than you think. It just helps to have someone showing you the way. And speaking of that, if you are falling in love with the idea of an old-fashioned, intentional kitchen full of nourishing food, you will love my Heritage Kitchen Handbook. It's a little e-book that I put together last year, and it's full of my very best tricks for cooking and eating like a farmer, no matter where you live. You can grab it for free over at www.heritagekitchenhandbook.com. And that's it for now. If you have a minute and you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it so much if you would <clears throat> pop over to your favorite podcast player and leave a quick review so more people can find this podcast. But thanks for listening, and we will catch up on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. Happy homesteading.